Friday, September 14, 2018. Welcome to Postmarktum 21. I'm Scott Southern. And I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Scott, my friend, you want a you want a six-pack? Uh, a six-pack? Yeah, maybe you want a, a, fifth, of some, a fifth of something, some SoCo? Uh, so- it's on me. It's on me. I got it. Oh, yeah? Oh, store clerk. Yeah, that's right. 21 episodes. Give me your give me your finest scotch, sir. We're of age. We're of age now. We're this of is age, nice. and it's good that we're you know a mature audience because we are getting ready to 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 witness uh, an event held inside the most demonic structure known to man. The most violent, the most violent thing conceived. Maybe we have some victors but really you're lucky if you do survive yeah i think the real winners are those that survive these matches and not the ones that die in these matches living to tell the tale it's the type of match where you're never the same coming out as you were going in we got hell in a cell 2018 a co-branded pay-per-view superstars from raw and smackdown you know, doing the doing it, doing it. Yeah, I'm. I. I mean, I, I guess we can jump in. How are you? What is the temperature you're feeling on this right now? The temperature that I'm feeling on this pay per view is that I am. I'm gonna be mad when it's nine thirty, and I'm not in bed. Is that is that what these like main events are just turning into? It's really what they're turning the, into the for me. The things that keep you away from going to sleep. Yeah. Um and I think most especially the main event, which, you know, I don't want to start on a negative note here necessarily, but they're really pulling out all the stops to try and make this a an event that we really care about a lot here. They huh? are I mean it's funny because it, it really does seem like they've done everything they possibly could uh, in this transition of, I don't know, like a, a minor eras. There was this minor Brock era for the past two years of, uh, of the main event, and now it's like the torch has been passed, and it's definitely something they knew was going to be controversial and, and problematic, and they've done, they've thrown everything at the wall here. We got the shield. We've got a heel turn for Braun Strowman, and now we like have the two favorite this tag team that has been the the most white hot heels in the business. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's a that's a that's a good point too. Is you take you take everything that that Ziggler and McIntyre have generated organically. You have the nostalgia of the Shield, which is a fresh nostalgia, and now we got Mick Foley, who has decided that he's the referee here. Yeah. Also, I th- I, this is like maybe may quickly becoming one of the biggest cliches in wrestling, but Mick Foley looks fucking bonkers every time he comes <laughs> out. He looked so, he had such his like gym teacher haircut is one thing, but I, I mean like he just looked tired and weird. It's so wild to me because you you hear the stories about how he doesn't spend money on anything and so he apparently just goes to uh freaking hair clips 
or no he the definitely hair does it himself he he definitely like has his kid no do it. no he go, sports clips is the one that oh, i'm he thinking goes he goes to clips. sports clips so that he can he can watch freaking tony kornheiser and uh wilbon argue on pardon the interruption and yeah, he does know, like that a 3 30 afternoon slot on espn he's definitely got his favorite hair cutter his favorite barber there that wears the referee shirt he, he and... comes in and he's like give me the j mariotti <laughs> Remember that guy? <laughs> Remember yeah. when like Jay Mariotti was like the worst person uh-huh. in the world that we knew about? The good old days. <laughs> so yeah, Mick he Fol- comes out. I think it's also though it was one of the more interesting things because he comes out and I'm like, oh, this guy looks tired and sad. I miss Mick Foley, and then he cuts this like steam and promo. Yeah, it was that was really dope what is it with all of these all these old guys just coming in and cutting great promos is it because they're allowed to do whatever they want you think that that's got something to do with it yeah i mean it does it's clear that mick foley and i mean i guess it's always been this way that mick foley has always been a bit of a of a journeyman he's always been kind of okay with leaving when he feels like he wants to uh and i think that's definitely given him free reign to you know give shit a shot uh, and it's cool that he could just come in and be a be a scary old man now. Yeah, because he can really he can really turn that on. And you know, I think, I mean, the timing makes sense. Everything on paper for Mick Foley makes a lot of sense, and Mick Foley's execution makes sense. But it it's like we're throwing everything into this so that we all care as much as we can possibly can about this match that people don't really care about. Yeah. I mean, then uh, we didn't even mention these weird police, this police angle that's happening now that uh, one week the shield broke out of jail uh, and stole a cop car. And then the next week they called their cop friends that they must have made at jail the week prior that were helping to enforce this match that they're having. Right. I don't really... I'm not really following. I, I There's definitely something... And I, I don't know. I think, like, there's a time when you're not happy with an angle and you can become purposefully obtuse about things and, you know, being like, this storyline doesn't make sense. But, man, I don't know what's going on. I get the, the idea of a badass like Steve Austin breaking out of jail and coming back to finish out the show... Or whatever, but I don't. I don't get. There's no consistency here, and I don't know what they're doing. Well, yeah, I think that one of the, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at it and you see that, in the month that has, that has been, Seth Rollins is the Intercontinental Champion. He, he hasn't worn the belt the entire like past three weeks he hasn't had a singles match on raw it's just all of his character has just gone into we're doing this shield angle which is attached to roman and i think that there are a lot of different like metrics that you can use to judge like how well your entire show is going but when you have just taken away one of the best things that you had going for you and certainly like 
I mean, this was something that built so much excitement back into the Seth Rollins character, yeah. and he was doing something new and exciting and different and getting over just by competing in the ring. And nope, we're taking that away and we're pushing it into into He's scaffolding, helping, right? And you know, it also has me wondering. I guess like my I'm concerned about like Seth. I'm concerned about the Intercontinental title. I'm also concerned about the placement of Drew and Dolph in all of this because if you just put the belts on them so that you can give it to the Shield so that the Shield just like comes out as, you know, kind of this stronger unit and you have belts on all three of them. That doesn't vie very well for the credibility of Drew and and Dolph, which is something that I think I always worry about with people like that. Specifically Dolph, right? Like the history of Dolph. Well, Drew too. I mean, you you know, they bring him back in hot, but they've cooled off on him before. That's definitely true. And it's really weird to see, like Roman has this, this, peak that I think WWE imagines of him being like an all-time great and I and I think that the peaks that they're seeing on people like Dolph and Drew and Seth uh, are high but not as high as what you're like the ceiling of of Roman right Uh, and I think but that sucks if they're just kind of overshadowing them in this way and folding them into this other feud just to prop it up uh well, yeah, I mean, it's weird that, like, if if the peaks for these people are lower than what they are from Roman, then why does Roman need them to generate interest in the title defense? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just continuing to speak to uh, a lot of the issues that are still around for Roman Reigns. And I'm, I don't know, I I'm having a hard time trying not to uh, consistently view this from, like, the I told you so perspective. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I don't want to... Well, I think that, like, you know, when... In in our most uh, optimistic uh, visions for how the first six months of Roman would go, it was all about, I'm a fighting champion comes out and like issues an open challenge has a great match with Finn but then this Braun thing is just like all right this is like the first feud of it and it doesn't look any differently than all of the Roman Reigns feuds of the past right and there were definitely some good matches in those but I think what we have been imagining and what turned the tide against Brock was that you know, Brock is not present and there's not enough movement or uh, action happening on the top of the card because of that. And I'm not seeing that. And maybe this is still too early in Roman's career as the champ. And maybe, you know, there's still fold over, holdover from the, the previous storylines that were going into the SummerSlam and blah, blah, blah. But man, it just seems like this Braun and Roman feud's been going on for a long time. A long time. And it doesn't seem like anything's changed. And I think that we are just kind of working on that impulse reaction that has been 
conditioned in us to just be like, I don't know. I don't think I like where this is going. Yeah. But and the fact that I mean the fact that they aren't really throwing everything at the wall. I can't think of anything else they could really do here uh, to bolster this match in a, in a more impactful way. And and watching them do that is just like really disheartening in a in a in a way that conveys that they're just not confident about this thing that they've been so adamant about for the past four years. Yeah, and I mean, I, we didn't even mention Dean, but like. Dean Ambrose is back, and it feels like his initial push of like, all right, let's have him, uh, let's have him show those new holds that he learned, and and his different wrestling style, and now he's just like, kind of doing this like second fiddle thing, and yeah, it's they're really, I mean, I I really do think that yeah, they're wasting Seth right now, they're wasting Dean, and they're wasting Dolphin Drew on this feud that wouldn't be any different without them involved i think is the issue here yeah yeah i think that that's that's a real big point too it's just that like they just don't need to be there right. and it feels like it feels like you know seth and and dolphin drew has already felt tiresome like that was kind of the excitement of of seth working as the intercontinental champion was that he was seemingly like cycling through people quickly and the Dolph thing it had life and it had a long life because it was good but that's tired now yeah that, I'm going it, back and forth this it went for a long well. time it was a good feud and it should have been over and now it's just gonna keep going sort of in a weird way and also this is muddled more because of the clear implications of the uh, Australia show that I mean these are these are factions that are going to be fighting each other there. Yeah. I think it's pretty I don't know if that was announced or not, but it seems pretty clear that that's what's happening. Right, right. Yeah, cuz it's either that or or Survivor Series. Um Right. But on the other side you, you look at the SmackDown side of this card. Brian and Daniel Bryan versus Miz and Maurice. The New Day versus Rusev Day, uh, Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton, Charlotte versus Becky, and AJ versus Samoa Joe. Every single one of those matches is going to be tight. I'm so excited for all of those matches. Yeah, I really... And you know what I like about this, too, is that you look at that, you look at that card and you're like, all right, which of these feuds should be... In Hell in a Cell. That's the question of this show, right? Like, that's the whole thing about this. Yeah. And I think that any of them really makes sense. But the one that I think is maybe the one that we're least tapped into is is Jeff and Randy. Sure. And putting them in that cell bolsters them. Totally. You know, it's like, it's like oh, Samoa Joe and, and AJ need the cell. But also, like, their fucking feud is so hot that they don't need the sell. Yeah, I think what's really interesting there is that I think you're right. Like, we're least excited on the SmackDown side of things about Randy and Jeff. Uh, but, and and all of the other matches here could legitimately, kayfabe-wise, like, maybe should be in the, K- or in the cell instead of the two matches that are in cells. But, uh, 
like you said, I think they don't need it. And structurally, booking-wise, it makes so much more sense for the cell to be around that match. And I think it does really play into the strengths of... You have Randy working, you know, a real methodical, real just, like, scary kind of angle here. And then, you know, that Jeff is going to do something fucking crazy I'm in that cell. I, is something fucked up going to happen? Dude, it's really interesting to me how it's it's all seemingly stemming from one comment that he made about his body hurting and then doing a swanton onto the ring apron and now everybody all of a sudden is like man i don't know if i want to watch jeff hardy like do anything anymore i think i think there was a i think it happened at the SummerSlam episode of uh of cheap heat they had a live event and i think that's when jeff hardy said he like was at the cheap heat live recording. And oh, and then Greg just interrupted him to just talk about how Roman Reigns is, <laughs> is the, the best. best and everybody needs to stop talking. Roman Reigns, Bret Hart, top two. Uh, Harley, Race. Harley Race. I'll never forget that. That's so funny, man. He's adorable. He's so funny. Great guy. I'm sure. I'm sure. I haven't listened to his program in a long time because I didn't. You know, what am I? It's what's good. what good is is my life when I'm just like mad at, at Greg? Yeah, that's there's no reason to be mad at Greg. Uh, but Jeff Hardy was on the Cheap Heat live show, and somebody asked him like, "What what have you done? What haven't you done in your career that you still want to do before you're done?" And he said something along the lines of like Swanton off the top of a cell. Fuck off don't do that yeah which is a f- it's like of course that's what you said jeff hardy and now it's a month and a half later and he's in a position where he can do that and if if there's gonna be a high spot off of a cell at this pay-per-view it's definitely jeff hardy that's doing it do it from the middle of the cell i mean we'll see i i don't know i don't know <sighs> I, there, I guess, like, also, Can though... Can you just bring out a crash pad? Can't you just do it yeah. onto a crash pad? I think that's the thing, though, is that at this point... I mean, we saw Shane McMahon jump Covered off the top of a cell. <laughs> Shane, Shane jumping was... It looked very safe, whatever he landed on. Yeah. It looked like there was a crash pad underneath that uh, announce table. And uh, I don't know. I think it was... I think that spot is not nearly the same spot that Mick Foley took. You know, yeah. Uh, there's a difference at this point, and it's a much more planned right. and, and yeah, because they're putting they're putting something into it as opposed to Mick just like, hey, Undertaker, why don't we do this? Yo, Chuck me down. I'm pretty sure how it happened. I don't know if, I mean, Vince had to have known, right? That that, that story's been told so many freaking times. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that we're we're gonna see something crazy there, and you know, it's. Funny, I was in watching the uh, you know the the build for all right. Rusev Day is now going to be challenging for the tag team titles. I just got so excited for just the prospect of seeing that match. Yeah, and I I don't know. I'm uh, I'm really happy with what they're doing with it. I would love to see those two with the belts i think that that would be fucking awesome and i think that like the amount of life that they've given to rusev like doing this gimmick 
it's really tremendous considering the fact that they haven't like had him win big matches. He hasn't accomplished anything during this Rusev Day run. But both him and Aiden English have been elevated to like a crazy degree where clearly Rusev has just stepped up a tier and Aiden English has also stepped up a tier from being, you know, we would be unsurprised if he was let go six months ago. Uh, and now he's kind of a vital part of the mid card. You just remember it at WrestleMania when people were mad that Rusev didn't win the U.S. title. Yeah, a lot of good that would have done him. U.S. title's not even on this show. It's true. Is that is that something to worry about? Are we worried about Nakamura? Or is it just like part of the, the fact that since we have co-branded pay-per-views, you can't have more than eight matches on a show? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping... I, I'm getting more and more cynical about Nakamura and WWE, but I'm hoping that maybe this kind of extended period of leave is just gonna make him come back and murder a couple people and he'll be badass and and, and evil again uh but i don't really know smackdown this week his entrance was so dead there was not an ounce of excitement in that arena and it's palpable yeah nobody Nobody gives a fuck it sucks i don't think he gives a fuck right now either and i wouldn't I, it's just a shame. It is. He's not getting allowed to wrestle. He doesn't have time. To, they're not giving him time to do anything or feuds to do. I watched him and Coda from oh, Wrestle Kingdom Nine. Oh, they they just hit each other so hard. It's so good. <sighs> it's it's so sad to watch something like that. Watching his like last two years in New Japan versus his first two years in WWE. I guess his first year in NXT was fucking pretty sick, but. It still isn't anything compared to what he did in New Japan. Yeah. Um, AJ Styles, though, I don't, I, quite the opposite. Truly. He's been champion. He has been a champion for more than 50% of his time in this company. Yeah. Um, this is... It's This feud with Joe is up there with the matches with Cena. For me, oh, I th- I like this even better. I think this is incredible. He's doing some amazing stuff, and you know we all know that AJ isn't the greatest talker in the world, but it's I don't know. I think inserting AJ Styles into a feud uh, that has that has more at stake than just wrestling, if you can care about that, that's impressive because that's not what he's great at. He's great at just wrestling. Putting emotion behind that is something that I think this is like. One of the best feuds I've seen him in. Yeah, I think that's the thing that we were kind of complaining about. Uh, actually, when this one started, was that we wanted something emotional from AJ. Joe has, since he's come back, has just been unbelievable. I want him to win this belt. I really want him to hold this belt. Is he going to win? What's going to happen? I don't know. I would like if Joe won too. Um, I think that it would be a very good look to have a heel champion on SmackDown. It's been a while. It has been. Um, you know, the other SmackDown matches on this card. Oh, (laughs) okay. Becky Lynch. 
fighting Charlotte Flair. See, I'm so used to just night. talking about uh, Becky at the top of the show that I'm like, all right, we've covered the we've covered the important groundwork. Obviously. Oh my god. I just I just can't. It's I'm so excited. You know, that's such a good freaking heel move. Charlotte's taking the selfie with these excited fans. Charlie Chaplin just reaches out. <laughs> it's brutal, man. It's so it's such a heel move. And but I don't know, man. She's still like everybody loves her still. It's okay. I think she can be a heel. I I think that she can just because she looks so good walking away from the ring. That's the thing. Yeah. She looks fucking cool. She has so much People intent. like cool people. It yeah. doesn't matter if they're good or bad. That's just like what it is. It's like there's and there's it's never going to not be that way. You yeah, know what that I mean? is very true, right? I don't think that there's like the moment Stone Cold Steve Austin gets arrested in the middle of a ring and walked back in handcuffs there's no way to to make that not a cool thing to have done yeah there's no doesn't matter who's who's doing it you put handcuffs on a person they look cool except for roman yeah that's true i and but i think even more so than that the the i think there can be an easy comparison between um just the facial expression or maybe even just the eyes that Austin has excuse me that Austin has walking away from the ring and that Becky Lynch has walking away from the ring those eyes are so intent and intense and have such expression in them that is just indicating like yep I am the kind of person that wants to win a fucking match and I deserve to be at the top of the card yeah and I think that you know the appeal to Becky up until this point was she had a good look. She had, you know, one of those personalities that you just kind of like root for. Um, and she's good in the ring. All of those are positives, but none of them come close to this type of intensity, to totally. this sense of purpose that her character has now. Plus, she's got that new finisher that she's been talking about, because you know she's got the disarmer, right? And now she's doing she's doing one on on the leg yep. that she's calling the debaser. Is that what she's calling it? No, I made that oh, up. Was... Slicing up eyeballs. I uh, I I okay. So, do we want in a perfect world? Do we want her to win this match? I mean. I don't know what I want out of this at all. See, I've been pushing for Charlotte heel turn. You know, like Becky is what she is now, and she can continue to do that because it's obvious that it's working and it's getting support. Yeah. Um, but Charlotte hasn't done anything bad yet, and I think that at some point and it might be best saved for evolution but there's a double turn that could happen and you know 
that might be the place to do it. That's the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. A double turn at Evolution. The title changes hands there. Like that's the. I think that's the perfect dream booking that a lot of people are thinking about right now. Um, I'm nervous that we're all building that concept up in our heads as like yeah the main event of Evolution. This. Like, you know, revolutionary right, moment sure, in wrestling sure. And history. then when it doesn't happen, we're all mad. Yeah. I, I think that it's interesting because when you said that, you know, sure, that's the answer. But I don't think I've been thinking about it in the terms that, like, you know, of, like, what I want to happen as much as, much as I just want, like, Becky's character to continue to grow. Right. So... If she wins, hopefully it doesn't plateau right there. Exactly. If they stretch it out, hopefully they add some new dimensions to it. I know, and I think that's really why I'm... I think that's where that question comes from initially, that, you know, she's been a bit of a Dolph Ziggler uh, for a while, and I think we're all nervous. We've seen how many times Dolph has been pushed with new attitudes and new dimensions and new ideas behind him and how that's never really followed through on. Uh, until maybe now, uh, but I'm very nervous that they're just going to decide one week to give up. And so I don't know if it's worth pulling the trigger right now. Right. Or if I want to see this, just keep going. I think that they have been doing a pretty good job on SmackDown of, I mean, fucking, they just got our truth and Carmella over so quickly and so effortlessly they've been great and it's almost like there's so much focus on the raw side about doing one thing and putting everything into one thing that smackdown is just like we're just gonna work everything that's working and do it well yeah i think they're definitely there's there's more of a uh, live and let live mentality on the SmackDown side of things. It's like, cool, stuff that works, let's do that. Like, let's take our time with it and let it happen and and just keep moving forward and let the momentum carry it. Uh, and it's, like, crazy how good SmackDown has been. It's, yeah, it's, it's, reaching, that, it's reaching that point where it's just, it's the show to watch for yeah. sure. It's kind of, it's, for me, reversing where it's, like, SmackDown's... If I'm watching it on Wednesday, if I'm watching wrestling on Wednesday, I'm watching SmackDown and then I'm watching Raw. You watch SmackDown first? Wow. That That's is powerful. what I'm doing, my friend. That's powerful. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? Maybe we should uh, take a look back? Uh, you think we should uh, turn back time? If I could. Uh, you know, some interesting ha- things happened uh, in mid-September. In the past. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, what, what did we talk about? Last time we went to uh, 1996, didn't we? We sure did. Yeah, we were we were just getting ready for the uh, presidential election between Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. Norm MacDonald was wowing the hearts of very few, hosting the Weekend Update. But that was 1996. That was 1996. Why don't we take a couple, uh, a step into the into the future, a couple years? The year and, 2000. Uh, let's 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 go to uh, 1998. 
All right. When Norm MacDonald was uh, releasing the hit film Dirty Work, <laughs> uh, a classic buddy comedy with Artie Lang. Norm, Norm MacDonald's shirts in that movie <laughs> are so big. They're so large. I love, dude, Dirty Work, I have, I have such a soft spot for Dirty Work. Directed by Bob Saget. It's, it's such a funny movie. It's like, it's bad, but it's so funny and it's so charming. And it's also like, I love the concept of this, like, this slacker, this normal slacker protagonist. Yeah. That like, nobody is this person, I don't think, but everybody kind of identifies with him. Everybody kind of identifies with him, but it's like if you were still 15 years old and you were but you're you're living as as a 35 year old also i don't know how old norm mcdonald is when he's making that movie but he's one of those people who looks like he's just always been 45 uh-huh yeah and and like I think he's probably supposed to be 25 in this movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> but he can't he can't deliver his pizzas in under 20 minutes. And... <laughs> it's I, I don't know, man. That move, and <laughs> <laughs> I, the uh I I still think about that sequence when they uh are at like a mob a mob house. Uh-huh. They got hired cuz the premise is that they are like they do pranks on people right right revenge pranks or or whatever uh and then they get hired to like prank this house and so they decide to put fish all over the house (laughs) in weird spots (laughs) to make it smell funny and it turns out it's a mob house and one of the the mobsters comes home while they're doing this and another mobster from a rival gang shows up and they're 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 doing their deal they're the deal is going down they're trading whatever it is and one of them says it smells fishy in here, <laughs> and the other one says, "What is that? Is that a, is that a code word? Is that a tip off word? Are you a rat?" And then they just have an enormous shootout, and there's like a minute of gunfight, and it goes on for so long. It goes on for so long, and they're both just holding, holding two fish. fish in one fish in each hand. <laughs> it's it's I, it's like pretty cinematic. Uh, it's pretty genius. Uh, well, let's let's stay in the entertainment world then. It, yeah, interesting movies. enough, I don't know. Yeah, a, a big hit movie of um of the uh, of a couple years prior, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, had a spinoff television show in 1998. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the television show. Ah, and uh, on the uh, September 14th episode, uh, Brett and Owen Hart, uh, both. We're, uh, we're added to the cast. Brett and yes. Owen Hart are yes, announced stars. to appear on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Well, that's pretty exciting for the the uh, Zelensky family to be visited by wrestling superstars Brett and Owen Hart. Probably just pretty... going to hang out and do some demonstrations on how to do some wrestling holds. Yeah, probably a lot of like dungeon work. I. We should have watched this episode before you know we started what? recording. Don't worry, because I remember it, because I watched it when it happened, and I can tell you that Did they, you really? Yeah. Uh, well, I watched it on the Disney Channel, where they would was, play reruns. Was it a? Was this a live-action show? 
Yeah. So the Holy premise of the show, which stars Peter Scolari, who was Tom Hanks' co-star on Bosom Buddies. <laughs> so the this show starring uh, the the Marty Janetti of the Bosom Buddies tag <laughs> team. Like, poor, poor Peter Scolari. <laughs> Peter Scolari's like calling Tom Hanks up, like, "Hey, Tom, what's going on?" Tom's like, "Oh, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just riding really high off of my uh, latest picture, Saving Private Ryan. How are you? Oh, well, I'm doing well as the uh, Wayne Zielinski character in the Honey I Shrunk the Kids TV show. <laughs> I it's uh." Maybe a bummer. That Maybe guy's right. no. That guy's hanging out. He's hanging out on like the boardwalk, just like trying to pick up women and just being like, "Yeah, it's Tom Hanks, my best friend." Oh, my old friend Tom. Oh, my, Hanks? my friend. Yeah, I call. I call him all the time. I say Tommy because that's what we call him. We call him Tommy. He's like, "Oh, Pete." That scenario though of of, of picking up picking up women women on the boardwalk true to life actually i was down in florida you with picked my up women on the boardwalk no no there was this guy who was like hitting on my mom who was like hey you know Derek jeter from the yankees yeah it's my best friend what? <laughs> he's like yeah we grew up together he uh he had family night at yankee stadium earlier this summer we went up there and my mom's like uh-huh and cool. i'm like i'm like mom can i get this uh this ball necklace one of those oh, big, like one of those yeah, with the big of those metal cool balls, big metal ball necklaces. Yeah, those are pretty cool. But Brett and Owen Hart are are uh, hanging out with the Zelensky family, and and Brett's given a demonstration on how to do a hammer lock, and then Owen shows how to reverse it, and then uh, Peter Scolari says something about it being fake, and Owen's like, "Hey, you think it's fake?" Why don't you talk to my chiropractor about that? Nice. It was a big moment. And Peter Sklar's like, oh, I'm, doing, I'm Rick Moranis, but I'm not. I, uh, man, Peter Scolari, I'm looking through his uh, filmography here. And it's a lot of televisionography. Oh, but he's also lots. in Sorority Boys. Which I think is maybe a bit of a nod and a wink back to his. Uh, oh, he's like, he's like, hey, been through this before. Let me show you how it's done. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about method acting because this is what me and Tommy did back on the set of Bosom Buddies. I just, I you know, maybe I can bring Tom over here and, and gotta do that. All we the can time, just get right? back oh, all the time. Just talking, Tommy. <laughs> just saw Toy Story. Had to wait for it to come out on tape so I could rent it. <laughs> Movie tickets are a lot of money these. <laughs> It's just waiting for Just gotta get those residuals just, I just got this Honey I Shrunk the Kids TV show Hoping to get four seasons out of it So that we can go into syndication You know syndication. you know how it is yeah, That syndication money Of course you don't have to worry about that You were Forrest Gump am I right? Uh, the Gumpster um, Also <laughs> on this show The kid who played Nick Zielinski uh, went on to play John Connor in the Sarah Chronicle, Sarah Connor Chronicles TV show. Remember that thing that was on Fox? Yeah, like N- nobody eight watched years it. Ago? There's no way that was good. I right? think people said it was good. I don't believe them. I think it was. I think it was one of those things. that's like, yeah, you know, how T3 moving forward from there, everything was bad. Well, there was the show that was good. At no, least. you know, T2 moving forward, everything from there was bad. 
Are you saying T2 is not good? No, I'm saying T2 is great. T3 was not good. That's what I'm saying. T3 is bad. Yeah, but you're saying T3, everything from there moving forward. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm including yeah, sure. that. And it's like, uh, it's, it's included in that in the, in the bad parts of Terminator. Right. Less than or equal to. Sure. Exactly. I get it. I, I just can't. I can't imagine that show being all that because it was on fox in like 2009 there's no i don't i don't, I don't know people i didn't watch it ever i'm never going to i don't know that's one of those things too where you you look at like we talk about wrestling and it being easy like why can't they just get this shit right how can you not get a terminator franchise right well, that's I know that there's a lot of stuff with like rights and shit like that, sure. but they fucked up everything that that has happened since Terminator Two. Yeah, I I get how maybe it's not uh, optimal for a TV show. I could see how you could fuck that up, but I don't understand how you could fuck up T three. Like that's well, maybe it's just making it is the fuck up. I'm not really sure, but it seems like you could continue making movies in that world that have weight and meaning and and really uh, play with this like pretty fucking stellar uh narrative that's already put in place it's to me it's the best science fiction narrative that there is like not gonna lie i don't know how you could i mean i think i don't know if i would say the same thing but i don't know if i could argue with you about that at all if it's not in your top three then um you're probably a nerd but if Terminator is in your top three science fiction movies, you're a nerd. <laughs> I'm saying like full on narratives, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, I and like four and five are like people are saying that they're just like unwatchable. They're so bad. I haven't right? watched them. Yeah. There's that, clearly unwatchable. They put Christian Bale as John Connor. Like while Batman was happening. Yeah, like what are you guys And it was doing? A, it was a piece of shit. Well, I, I don't. I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do with those. I don't know what the purpose it seems like, is. It seems like everybody who picks it up has a different idea. Uh. Well, know. it reminds me a lot of Alien, where like those first two Alien movies were. I think if we're gonna have a, if we were gonna yeah. have a discussion, I might say that the Alien films are the best uh, sci-fi films around. But in in any case, those first two. Are I think it's like such a comparable arc of films being made that the first one is very dark and brooding, the second one is action packed but still very smart, and from there it gets weird and debatably watchable. It just gets yeah because I think that the only thing that well they switch directors right because it goes Ridley Scott and then James Cameron right and then who the fuck picks it up after that it's just like. Uh, no, there's names. People pick like Joss Whedon. I think did really one of them. He did a bad job. Uh, I've seen all those. I know, me too. I start. I I rewatched Resurrection the other day, and I, I thought that it was good the first time I watched it, and it's it's not. It's, She's got that bald head though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's some cool shit in it for sure, and it's like a fun. It's a romp. It's a bit of a romp, but it's it's a bad movie. I feel like what they do is they take like, you know, I think that. Aliens is a much more like mimicable form, and that's where it goes. But sure. it just kind of goes into the uh, diminishing film. return uh, territory. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, well, hey, let's take a let's take a couple more steps back. 
uh, in the month of September. In uh, 1994, a few years prior to the release of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show. Uh-huh. Maybe they, they probably had the idea. They had the idea going. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid was a, was a massive success. Huge success. I bet they no pun intended. Oh, it blew up. The, the, the kid just got the kid just got huge. You know, my mom took me to see that movie in the theaters. That was a big marketing movie too. Really I had did. like I had uh, "Honey, I Blew Up the Kid's Swag." I had a book for it, and then they also had like the kid uh, had like a a furry rabbit that he carried around that also got like blown up too. Sure, yeah. They sold the fuck out of those things. That makes sense. Yeah. It, was that two or three? That was two. And then it was and honey, then we th- shrunk ourselves. Three is, I think it's like straight to DVD. No, honey, we shrunk ourselves was definitely, it was in the theaters. Yeah. I saw that in theaters. It's weird because they, they turn out, Disney turns out like bad, uh, second sequels in that era a lot that feels like it's super low budget and it should just be straight to videos it's like mighty ducks 3 comes out around oh that my time. god mighty ducks 3 is so bad that's such a fucking bad movie there's like seven people on the team on your hockey team yeah there's not enough and yeah honey we shrunk ourselves is also very bad there it's they touched on it on blank check on the blank check podcast a couple times uh where they talk about like the Disney leadership at the time and how they were just churning sequels out and like how this philosophy extended almost all the way up through Toy Story 2 in uh, like the Pixar era. And that's when leadership changed. And they're like, no, let's make sequels very good. Uh, yeah. Let's not just make them money grabs. Let's make them actual films. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, there was like this philosophy for a good decade or two. Well, because you just like you watch if you were to watch both of those movies side by side, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves and Mighty Ducks 2, you're looking at it and you're saying the second the first sequel for each of these had three times the budget as the third. one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which I don't understand. I mean, at that point, you're just like, cool, we don't need to make anything here. We're going to get paid and like, let's just cash that in. Uh, but you know, when they were in talks with trying to convince Rick Moranis to be, uh, in the TV version of honey, I shrunk the kids before he, while he was continuously turning them down, uh, SummerSlam happened. Oh. Uh, it was a little late in 1994. It was a little later in the, uh, in the season. Well, SummerSlam 94, fantastic show from the United Center. Was in that Chicago. from the UC? Oh Yeah. I think that that was the first event at the United Center. Oh, my God. That's, like, right when it was released. Yeah. Right when it was opened up. Uh-huh. That's wild. What kind of... Dude, I I'm, I would be interested to know, because the United Center opens up in 1994, which is right after Michael Jordan retires from basketball for the first time. And I'm wondering what sort of... Uh, what sort of stir that caused within the Bulls organization because they just built a new arena because Chicago Bulls are the motherfucking hottest basketball team in the world for the first half of the 90s. And then Michael Jordan retires and it's like, 
we just built this new fucking arena because you were supposed to be running the show here. Yeah, that's really wild to consider that they... I mean, I'm sure that that's where that was spurred. They started building it in 92. <coughs> it seems like very clear that it was like, this is going to be the start of a dynasty and this is where we're going to make this the home of of the new basketball dynasty. And yeah. And the Blackhawks can come along too. Because the Blackhawks were in the cup finals in 92. Were they? Yeah. Were they good after that? Jeremy Roenick? Uh, that was before... Chris Chelios? Chelios was on that team. It was Chelios, Ed Belfour. Jeremy oh my God, Eddie Belfour. Might have been on that team. Um, but that's why they have uh, the movie Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh-huh. It's the Blackhawks and the Penguins who are playing the game where the bomb is going to go off yeah. and JCVD has to stop it, has to save him. Man, I am so happy. You told me about that movie. I had, that was a complete blind spot for me yeah. until like three or four years ago when you were like, ah, just like Sudden Death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I was like, what? That is a delight. Yeah, that movie is it's very so fun. good. That's one of my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Is it? It's really good. Do you like it more than Time Cop? No, Time, time Cop's Cop. Time Cop, I don't think it can't be touched. Yeah, Time Cop's the best. Um, uh, but back in 1994, SummerSlam comes to United Center. We're all excited here in Chicago, but a lot of people were watching it on TV. Uh, and uh, in Maine, the uh, in in uh, the great state of Maine. A cable company accidentally aired uh, an adult movie instead of SummerSlam on the pay-per-view uh, stream. And it, I guess it only affected like 30 to 40 homes, but uh, they got lots of calls and complaints. Uh, one one caller who came to who called into complaints that it is eight, his 8 and 11-year-old children watched the movie, the adult film, for 15 minutes before they realized it wasn't a wrestling show. And he said... Quote, I'm not sure if those kids need to be watching more wrestling or less wrestling if it took if it took that long to figure out that they weren't watching SummerSlam. Oh, Dave Meltzer can't help but throw a throw a jab in there. Um Yeah, wow. Okay. Oh, you guys are gonna watch the wrestling show? Alright, sounds good. Here, let me watch it with you. Oh, oh, do we have some some intergender promotion stuff going oh, on the here. The pizza guys showing up at this <laughs> wrestling show. Interesting. Ah, I see. Oh, oh my God, Daddy! <laughs> what kind of lock is that? <laughs> I avert your eyes. There's, I, there are very few uh, media gaffes that are as good as the accidentally showing porn one. The accidental porn it's is so just funny every time it happens. Unbelievable. It's just like the the utter confusion of like what are they doing? Just imagining all of these all of these youths and all of these like proper homes being exposed to uh exposure. Exposed to Full exposure. On. And you're and you're telling me that they went 15 minutes into this thing without seeing people fucking. That 
there's no porn that has ever been made where people are not fucking within, within the, first, the first five minutes. It's like fucking is like it's like part of the title sequence. Right. That's like how it goes. You can't put off fucking for 15 minutes. But maybe it was like a maybe it was one of those like maybe it was barbed wire. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it was like a one of those, you know, adult films that you could get at Blockbuster. And it's not actually a, a full-fledged oh, pornographic. Let me go back film. into. Oh, so sure. It's like it's like oh, I my my brother taped Real Sex Twenty Seven <laughs> off of HBO last night. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely. I mean, it very easily could have been one of those uh, those uh, those booby films <laughs> that uh, you still shouldn't show to your children, I suppose. Or maybe, I mean, maybe it had a longer it, runway. If they're if they're gonna learn, if they're gonna learn about how how we're all made, if, we're, if they're gonna learn about nature's miracles, it might as well be on accident when they think that they're watching SummerSlam 1994. It might as well be when they're tuning in to see the real Undertaker versus the fake Undertaker. Uh, what's the one? I'm trying to find. I think it's Poison Ivy 4 is the one with Kelly Kapowski in it. There's one that, like, one famous softcore uh, porno film that has... Well, there's also one with, uh, speaking of Disney movies with Rick Moranis, there's also the one that has the Icebox. nude? Yeah. Rick oh, Moranis. it's Icebox. That's who I was thinking of. Icebox yeah. gets nude, and then Emma from uh, Degrassi. Also gets nude in that movie. I know. I never watched Degrassi. Well, Emma, oddly enough, is the the link between Degrassi and Degrassi: The Next Generation. She's the one that makes it through. Then, yeah, she's born. What is okay? What is the Degrassi that people refer to when they're like, "Man, Degrassi, the, the that show was crazy." Well, it's it's the one that was on when we were in high school in in 2000 you know two through i it actually went like a long time after because it's kind of just like a soap opera but the degrassi junior high was on in the 80s okay and there's that's uh, not the one that drake was in obviously no but uh there was a character on that one named spike who got pregnant in high school and spike had a dudley daughter it was spike dudley um he had a daughter Got married to Leon Dudley. Um, and so the daughter the daughter was named Emma, and then Degrassi, the next oh, cool. generation. So Emma starts made it all with, the way through. Starts with, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a different person, but I, I can't actor say. the whole time. Born on set. Um, and that's where, that's where Drake was, was okay. Degrassi, the next generation. Um, and then... Drake got shot, unfortunately. Rest in peace. No, he survived, but he was in a wheelchair. Oh. Yeah. I thought he died. No. I watched No, that Rick scene. died. Rick's the one who shot him. And he died from the shock? Yeah, because somebody tried to... Sean uh, Cameron tried to wrestle the gun from him because uh, he went to shoot Emma. And Sean's like, give me the gun. And then it goes off and, and Rick dies. In this sequence? In this the sequence. In the, yeah, it was idea. crazy. I he, thought they, I watched they, this. Rick died the same the same way that Scott Hall killed that guy. Wrestling a gun. Oh, wrestling a gun from? Dude, you got it. It's dangerous. There was a, 
there was an episode of the Bischoff podcast where Eric went out to Eric was talking about going out to dinner with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall towards the end of WCW and they were in I think Panama City which is where Scott Hall where that incident happened yeah and Scott like brought him there and like told him everything told the and, story and, and Bischoff is just like sitting there just talking about how he could tell it was like a really cathartic experience for Scott and how he was like just like moved by it but really uncomfortable at the same time but just very sure that like this is what Scott Hall like needs right now just need to talk through this Fucking like accidental death that happened how do you think you would do if you if you accidentally killed a guy I mean if it was in a situation where that guy was acting maliciously I think I'd be probably very shooken up but probably okay you know I would treat you exactly the same because you're my friend. Thanks. That really means a lot. I uh, I hope I, I hope I get to do that one day. Accidentally kill a guy that's trying to kill people. And I hope that I double cross you, and then I leave you in the the lurches, and then you you're just like, oh, my life's never gonna be the same again. My best friend betrayed me. After I tried to save his life but killed that other guy on accident that poor guy he had a family but scott i'm only kidding of course because you are like family to me and and it's so so great having you over here this is the first human contact i've had all day yeah it's like almost 2 p.m dude i'm freaking i'm i've been freaking home alone all weekend part bachelor party (sighs) well are we gonna get food um, we should get food. What should we get? I don't know. Jay's in New York, and I told her, I told her, when you go to New York, what you got to do is you got to go to Vinny's. Oh, Vinny's! Exactly. Right she on was, the corner there. Yep. Oh exactly. I was like, I was like, she's staying in Brooklyn. I was like, all right. Well, what you got to do is you got to get on the subway, and then you got to go six. Yeah, you got to no. I, I it's not that one. Or the F. It's, it's no. It's just the subway. You take the subway. Uh. And then, uh, and then you got to get off at at the stop, and then and then you go out, and and Vinny, like right when you get out of the subway stop, it's right on the corner, right of the avenue and the boulevard there. Yeah, that's my favorite pizza place in New York. It's great. As soon as you get out, you could smell it. Oh yeah. And then you know what you got to do after that? You got to get you got to get back on the subway. Then you got to go to the Bronx. Oh baby, right by Queens. Hey. Stop over in Queens, maybe get back on the train, and then you go to Jersey, oh. and then you get out, and you turn right back around. Because uh, who, who, cause Jersey? Yeah, exactly. Jersey. Hey, uh, subscribe to this. This is Postmarked and Meta Perspectives in Professional Wrestling. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, leave, us a, leave us a five-star review. Uh, tell all your friends about it. We are doing it because we like each other. That's true. And we're going to go get food after this. We hope you enjoy uh, the majority of the Hell in a Cell program. And we will see you on the other side. Thanks, Bubba's.
Yeah. 